Welcome back to EnterTheRealWorld.com. My name is Matt Walters. I'm joined by Ben Phillips for Secret Agent Men. There's a lot in this one. It is episode 9. It is Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Ben, how are you? Have you slept on the movie as I have? I mean, I watched it about three days ago. I actually spent my last night watching before sunrise, so I'm ready for our Richard Linklater podcast. I'm not. <laughs> like, I just, I'm emotionally not. Yeah, maybe one day. We literally have podcasts booked in through 2022. I don't, I don't even know at this point. I mean, you pitched us doing another one the other day. It was like, Matt, we don't, why would we do this? <laughs> Next year, January. Next, in the yeah, place right. of Secret Agent Men. But no, we are doing Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Finally dropped the numbers at Tom Cruise's request because he wants each one to just feel like a distinct, different thing and not just, here's another one. And also just, when you're doing sequels, the numbers start to sound a bit sad after a while. But Fast yeah. and Furious didn't get the memo, apparently. So uh... Yeah, but Fast and Furious has the most insane naming structure of any franchise in the world. <laughs> the like, Fast and the Furious. The Fast latest movie is just called F9. <sighs> so released in December 2011. Three years since we got anything from any of these franchises, which is... I don't know if that's the longest gap between or any of... Without having one of these movies come out, I don't know. But, yeah, certainly a while. Directed by Brad Bird of Pixar and the Simpsons fame, Iron Giant, Incredibles, Ratatouille, Tomorrowland. Did Damon Lindelof write that? Damon Lindelof and Brad Bird co-wrote it. It is Damon Lindelof's best movie. It is Brad Bird's worst movie. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, JJ had to step down, or step up, depending on how you look at it, to producer, because he was busy with Super 8 and other things, I guess. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, he goes on to Star Trek immediately after Super 8, so he oh, wouldn't okay. have time for anything. Yeah. And obviously this is, I think most interestingly, this is where Christopher McQuarrie kind of joins the franchise. Well, we'll get to that. But uh, So, but officially written by Josh Applebaum and Andre Nimich, Nimich, don't know, who worked on Alias, they worked on Life on Mars, they would go on to write the two Michael Bay Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle films. Presumably they got hired by JJ because Alias and making Mission Impossible like Alias worked last time. So here you go. Two hours, two minutes, so a little bit shorter than three. Could have shaved a good half hour off this and we would have been singing the goddamn praises of one of the finest action films ever made, but more on that to come. $145 million budget, so less than Mission Impossible 3, but it grossed $695 million. So until Mission Impossible Fallout comes out, the highest grossing Mission Impossible film and the highest grossing Tom Cruise film. So well done. On less money, you made a fuck ton more. Yeah, it's also like, this is the last year where Marvel is isn't a thing, really. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Although, there's a year coming up where we get one of each of these movies in the same year, I think, and they all made a decent amount. I don't know. Obviously, Marvel like took 2009 off, 2010 is Iron Man 2. This year is Thor and Captain America, neither of which made a crack. huge amount. Yeah, yeah they both, they, neither of them crack the top 10 movies at the box office that year, like the top five for box office that year is like. Harry Potter, Transformers, Pirates of the Caribbean, Twilight, Mission Impossible. It's like all these other franchises. And then 2012, it's Avengers and Marvel you, don't look back after that. People can give Marvel and superhero movies a lot of shit about, you know, franchises and this, that and the other. But like all these fucking Harry Potters and, and Transformers and all these other ones were doing it first. So leave them alone. And there's nine Fast and the Furious movies. And that was number seven at the box office. I think I think the most impressive thing looking at the box office there is Deathly Hallows Part Two's good, Fast Five is good, Dark of the Moon, On Strange Tides, and Breaking Dawn are all terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, as mentioned, Mission Impossible, well, and the last time when we covered Mission Impossible 3, Mission Impossible 3 was not as financially successful as the first two movies, but it did get good reviews, so Paramount were like, let's do another one, but they gave them less money. J.J. Abrams, as we said, couldn't commit to directing, slid over to producer. Brad Bird steps up after Edgar Wright declines because he's too busy with Scott Pilgrim. No firm script in place, and Brad Bird apparently repeatedly 
I asked Abrams for the script in a sort of joking manner, and then was like, okay, seriously, can I have the script? And he was like, well, we have a lot of drafts, but you should really just see this as a blank canvas for you to be involved creatively, which is a kind of dick move, but this is Brad Bird's first live-action movie, so I guess he wasn't going to object too hard. But And a good job. But we, we, we say it's his first live-action movie, but he's coming off of... Iron Giant, Incredibles, and Ratatouille, which yeah, are three yeah, yeah. of the best received movies of like the last ten years. Oh, yeah. And he's someone who's like notoriously kind of like quite controlling about like what he does. Yeah. I think it's quite noticeable that this is the only movie that he's directed that he isn't involved in the writing process of. Mm. Well, yeah, no, I'm not disputing his ability as a filmmaker. I just they're different disciplines. Oh no, hundred percent. But it's just it's just one of those interesting things where like I'm actually quite impressed that he didn't just sit down and go like fuck you, I'm writing the script myself. Wow. Yeah, and maybe he did without credit. I don't know, but because I think that happens way more than people it gets reported or or officially happens is that I think a lot of directors do kind of rewrite their scripts. But so they went from calling it Mission Impossible Four to dropping the Mission Impossible name altogether and just calling it Ghost Protocol to Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, which I think is the right decision. But as you highlighted when we did MI two, that place in the colon between Mission and Impossible has really fucked how they present these in terms of typography. So. Mission, colon, impossible, <laughs> M dash, ghost <laughs> protocol. Yeah, I guess it's got to be an M dash, hasn't it? But Or just different fonts or whatever. <laughs> so famously, Christopher McQuarrie, as you said, who will be directing the next two. Four. <sighs> Alright, the next two that have been filmed. Um, and the next two that are going to be. Jesus Christ, he's going to have done four Mission Impossible movies. He... He's going he's to be the king director at the end of this. Like At the moment, we're sat at like, two is the max that someone can do. Actually, well, three, I guess, with, with Paul Greengrass, but it's mm. hard to accept Jason Bourne as like... <laughs> just just to accept Jason Bourne. <laughs> just to accept Jason Bourne. Yeah. But yeah, like three three to two, and then Chris McCrory's going to come in and go, like, I've done four of these fucking things. In a row as well. So he did some rewrites in the middle of filming and I can't find anything concrete about this but I have heard via you that they were well I don't know if they're planning to do it in this movie but certainly the character of Brand was Jeremy Renner's character was introduced to take over from Ethan Hunt and I don't know if they were planning to kill him here or it was just hey this is our long term contingency plan because Tom Cruise isn't going to want to make these forever haha <laughs> lol well I is. think it's, it's, it's also like you look at Mission Impossible 3 and obviously Mission Impossible 3 is where the culmination of all the shit that was going on with Scientology and mm-hmm. and and all the stuff on War of the Worlds and War of the Worlds made money this movie or Mission Impossible 3 didn't make money he kind of goes away and all the movies he makes after Mission Possible 3 are kind of safe and not that interesting because it's like night and day and just all these like weird things where like which don't don't make money he obviously meets Chris McQuarrie on the set of Valkyrie which wasn't directed by a person Um, (laughs) when was What's the goddamn sci-fi with Morgan Freeman? Uh, Oblivion. Oblivion. When was that? Oblivion's 2013. So that's, oh, okay. that's kind of like after this kind of rehabilitated him a little bit. And yeah. it's when he starts working with like the same four directors because he takes Joseph Kosinski and he takes him to go do Top Gun Maverick after that. So oh, like okay. after this movie, like every director he works with is like the same like three directors over and over again. Yeah. I like that Tom Cruise has sort of low-key carved out this career as like one of the upper echelon sort of sci-fi people. Like, <laughs> from Minority was Minority Report his first one probably but from then onwards it's I, I guess Vanilla Sky maybe counts but yeah <laughs> so yeah I, I don't know if he did Nix an ending where Ethan I think I think or... I think the, the the rumor is is that basically Chris McCrory came on saw that what the plan was because like you look at the story with Jeremy Renner and Jeremy Renner's arc in this movie is so bizarre that it's wrapped up in like a dialogue scene about two thirds of the way through the movie and then he has fuck all to do after that. And it's like Chris McCrory comes in, looks at what they've got, and kind of goes to them and goes like, "What's been filmed?" Yeah, he had to confirm what. Like, he can't just have them not film the Burj Khalifa scene, or not that he should have done that, but you know, he can't have them just change giant action set pieces that they've already like had boarded and propped and all that. All that. But he said he like worked on making the central mystery less complicated and yeah, which I have to imagine involved Jeremy Renner. I have to imagine that like the central mystery is just like, well, I don't care about any of this. The secretary is corrupt and Brandt had inside knowledge. 
college and this, that, and who knows. Speaking of Jeremy Renner, he turned down a role in Super 8. That role went to Car Chandler to sign on. There was no script, but he is just a huge Tom Cruise fan. So he was like, yup, sign me up. I mean, I have to imagine the conversation between Super 8 and Mission Possible is just like, JJ's just in a room and kind of like, I've got these roles that you can think about doing. Which one would you rather do? <laughs> yeah. He beat out Anthony Mackie, Chris Pine, Tom Hardy, and some others. What a better world we could have been living in if literally any of those three had been William Brandt. How bizarre is it that their original plan was to move this franchise to star Jeremy Renner, who has just come off the back of an Oscar nomination in an Oscar-winning movie, mm-hmm. to take Chris Tom Cruise, who's, who was presumably at this point kind of about late 40s, Oof, yeah. and give the role to someone who was in their late 30s? Yeah. Renner's got that whole, I'm way older than you think I am thing going on, hasn't he? <laughs> Yeah, like, he's only about five years, five, seven years different between Tom Cruise, and they're, like, going to pass his franchise off. And it's like, you're not going to extend the length of the franchise by that much. But like, imagine if this. if this had been Tom Hardy. Are Jeremy Renner and Henry Cavill in the same movie together? Or no. Oh, I'm just imagining a world where Tom Hardy and Henry Cavill are punching each other. And I'm a little bit aroused, I won't lie. And yes, this was the first one filmed with lots of IMAX, which was in vogue at the time. And I think our agent is Ethan Hunt. Tom Cruise continues to just hurl himself into this role. I guess there is more going on in his head than there was at the beginning, but he is still kind of just a Tom Cruise protagonist. Yeah, uh, I, there is, there like, of the three protagonists, like, he has the least personality. Which is weird, because Jason Bourne is literally a blank slate. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but, but this uh, is but just so he... generic, and like, uh, I mean, he's, you know, he's a sad bunny this time. There is some stuff going on with the wife that I completely forgot how that resolved, so I was like, oh, she's dead? He gained some new superpowers Hours. He can lip read in a foreign language, which is. Baller. I mean, he could lip read in the last movie. Yeah, he could lip read in English. <laughs> I don't know if it's possible to lip read in another language. I mean, I'm sure it is, but like, you are doing a lot of brain work there to make that happen. And he's maybe I'm just pinning it on the whole Burj Khalifa thing, but a semblance of hesitation to do insane things is starting to creep in, and I don't know if they were trying to push for, like, Ethan's getting a bit older, so maybe he'll be leaving soon, and... Or maybe it's just that one scene. But... Yeah, like, he's he's kind of very tired in a lot of the, the yeah. action set pieces in this movie. Yeah. I don't want to say he's fucking up a bit, but it's not going as smoothly as it has before. Well, I think that's that's Brad Bird for you, is, like, Brad yeah. Bird's big thing that he does for this movie is, like, what if none of the things they get work properly? <laughs> what if he just absolutely fucks himself up on that window frame? <laughs> and what if he has a broken leg for the entire final fight? Um, so our mission. I don't think I've had more fun typing one of these than I have for this <laughs> because it's a good old school plot an insane Russian nuclear strategist steals some launch codes frames the IMF for an attack on the fucking Kremlin forcing the president to enact ghost protocol which basically <laughs> disbands the IMF and forces Ethan and his team to prevent nuclear war without any backup that's a bonkers plot quite frankly yeah. great <laughs> but I'm kind of into it as a sort of you know we've had shorting stock options and we've had trying to become the head of the utilities in this impoverished nation and now it's a good old-fashioned mad russian nuclear war plot you know he literally has nothing more to him than that it's just like he does a speech he's just like what if everyone was dead what if nukes were part of the natural order that we artificially created Oh, goodness. Right, there's going to be a lot here. It's probably going to be about 30 minutes of praise, 20 minutes of criticism, and then we'll wrap up. Here we go. Ethan starts the movie in a Moscow prison, which Benji and our new agent, Jane Carter, Agent Carter, is in this movie, help him escape from. Before that, though, Leia Seydel kills Josh Holloway in Budapest for no apparent reason right now. So I didn't really want to write much about it, but Josh Holloway... In a film. Who would have thought? Josh Holloway deserves to be in more movies because he's such a goddamn star in this opening set piece. He's fine. I, I think he's great. I he's got think like... he's got the Samson thing going on and without the Sawyer hair, I'm no longer interested in him. <laughs> <laughs> they really commit to not showing Ethan's face for a little bit in the prison while you've got Simon Pegg and um, Paula Patton doing their stuff. And I like this beat of like the music almost activates him. And then he like jumps over the balcony and uh, him moving around this prison set to music is actually really, really fun, I think. And sulking his, you know, pouting into 
camera until Benji does what he wants and going and grabbing his friend. And at first it was like, is he just trying to save the guards who are very clearly going to get beaten to death by all these prisoners they've released? Or, nope, he's just looking for one person and he has to fight his way through. Yeah, I, I think it's a, a fun little opening scene. It's It got changed a lot. Like, it originally opened with um, Hendrix's speech and something else. I don't know. But, yeah, they changed it around, and I think this is a really fun beat. It's yeah, nice I mean, to see I mean, Benji in the field replacing Luther. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my, my first text to you was like, this is the best directed movie that we've watched so far, just because there's a really nice fluidity to, like, all the action beats and, like, the way everyone moves and the way everything's kind of cut together, where you just understand everything that's kind of going on. All the stuff with doors and opening and closing and they're all colour-coded, and it just flows so well that... He moves the camera really well, and I think he conveys visual information extremely well. The briefing scene they're going to have in about an hour, I think, is actually subtly one of the best ones of those you will see. And setting it to the music and everything, it's, it's all really fun. And then the diegetic fuse, you know, like the lighting of the fuse, which has always been, you know, an element of these movies, but is, you know, part of a non-diegetic title sequence. But here it's like sort of part of the actual movie and then they revive this old tradition of showing the full events of the movie but it's done in a more subtle way in a more stylized way it's not in order so it's not like you can see uh, it. it kind of uh, i guess it starts with i don't know it sort of vaguely is um, i just remember like burj Khalifa kind of like not being where i expected it to be in the like order of events but maybe mm. i'm misremembering yeah and it's not like you know like mission possible one you can see that Jim is secretly evil if you just pay attention to those opening credits. Whereas this is much more like, oh shit, that looks like that's going to be a crazy stunt. I can't wait to see that in about 20 minutes, an hour, whatever. Yeah, a very confident opening. And if anyone had any doubts that Brad Bird could do it with, you know, real human people, he's done it. He's done it immediately. Carter informs Ethan that Agent Hannaway, Josh Holloway, was killed by an international assassin, Leia Seydoux. He had, they'd done a mission to get these nuclear launch codes away from someone bad, I don't know, and then Moreau steals them off Hannaway's corpse, and that's the events from the cold opens, cold open, if you will. And Ethan suspects an IMF target known as Cobalt. Bogdan, the man he rescued, bye. Goodbye to him. The last time we'll see him, for sure. I just quite enjoy the whole bit where, like, they're having this conversation and, like, <laughs> it's all kind of cross-purposes and then in the, in the end, Ethan just shoots him in the neck with a tranquilizer dart. Sergey, and... are you not Russian? <laughs> Sergey, are you not Sergey? Do you know what would have been good? If he was Dimitri. If this was an <laughs> ongoing cover he has. Yeah, I think it's a nice little comedic little bit. And then him being passed from one van to another and I kind of wish he didn't come back but we'll get to that later it's really fun seeing one of these like elaborate missions without ethan being involved and it just doesn't go right because like they seem like they've got all the elements like they they're doing all the stuff they would normally do and then it just doesn't work because only ethan is our magical golden child who can make it work but i enjoyed that the first set piece of this movie is also a quite well-oiled like thing that's going to go off and everything seems to be going right and then ethan's just like yes but what if i didn't do what you wanted me to do (laughs) he's not going to the extraction point yes because he's insane uh and that's his superpower power that's how he survives and it's like later when when renner is asking him like what do you imagine they were thinking when you did that he's like oh <laughs> i don't think they were thinking anything i just do things i just do things and people react how i kind of help them to react a dangerously yeah, like, insane human being this other mission i just really like josh holloway with the kind of like the pin in his on the ring yeah in the back of the guy's hand and then immediately moving him onto the thing putting the hat over his head yeah i know again it's just a nice flow to how everything goes i like that all three movies now have done this version of this event like Casino Royale did it in the museum Born Ultimatum did it in the station and they're doing it in another train station of like you know taking someone out in a public place and trying to make it look smooth it's fun I like seeing he has a backpack that's got an inflatable thing in the back of it Matt what's not to love that was pretty fun when he threw that off the roof yeah I like them acknowledging IMF isn't just Ethan Hunt and his two friends you know like it is a large agency with multiple operatives and all that and Carter's you know a rare example of a male fridging, arguably, as Holloway is in and out and he existed only to uh, cause some pain for Carter. But it gives her... We'll talk about that later, but yeah. They start dropping these hints about Julia when he's taking... He goes to the payphone, which is how he gets his 
his mission this time, the little eye scanner. Less creative, I think, than the Polaroid camera and everything, but sorry, the disposable camera. And while he's over there, Benji and Carter are talking and he says he disappeared after he and his wife, you know, and we'll put a big pin in that because they never quite say what happened and you're, you are left to believe that she left him, basically, or they split up, but... And that video phone, the payphone, not self-destructing properly. Is this a dig at Russia and like you know <laughs> all this broken old tech and everything? No, I think I think it's just kind of like setting up the tone for the movie because okay. obviously like so much of their stuff breaks. Like the glove breaks very early on to the into the mission. The master machine breaks. It's yeah. kind of going like these guys aren't going to be working with like the best material. They won't have anyone to go talk to. I yeah. think it is just that kind of thing. It's setting up yeah. what's going to be they're going to have to think their way out of this without yeah. using the tools that you might expect from a Mission Impossible yeah. movie. It's funny because if you do that in the first film in a franchise it comes across as the whole thing as a parody and a joke but when you're doing it four films in it's like it's more you're subverting tropes and then it becomes artistically good. So they break into the fucking Kremlin 20 minutes into the movie or less and Ethan and Benji are beaten to it in their task of I don't know Cobalt's trying to steal the launch thing or a file the script is a fucking mess quite frankly but Brad Bird does a good job actors do good job so we'll let them away with it but Cobalt beats them to it so they have to abort the mission and Ethan is hospitalised by a mysterious explosion (laughs) mysterious explosion they blow up the Kremlin real good they they do it looks terrible it does look terrible <laughs> continuing the mission impossible tradition of all the cgi looking utterly awful <laughs> yeah that's the thing is like the practical looks great the bit where they like devolve into just over outright cgi to kind of like oh no this needed a bit more time mm-hmm. this absolutely ludicrous portable screen thing in the corridor is god tier gadgetry it's so incredible they never explain how it works which is insane like it's not like benji kind of goes like and then if i put the ipad inside it will like scan where his eyes are looking and you'll and he'll like only be able to see the room like you 100 percent understand how this fucking thing works yeah <laughs> and that is entirely the strength of kind of brad bird yeah no I think, no like, exposition it's... about you know no cue explaining the device or anything like that um just here is some gadgetry they bought they brought with them and Brad Bird, as you said, like communicates how it works just through direction and that is like the heart of directing is communicating non-verbally yeah and the little directional it's like it's not a directional microphone it's the opposite really it's like making a like dripping sound to distract him and as you said like it's tracking where the guy's looking so that the corridor looks right from his eye line so that if he moves slightly to the right it doesn't change and then when others turn up and it can't figure it out and it's like it's like when you close your left eye your right eye that kind of thing where it's like moving left and right and then suddenly there's six of them and it's just blinking out of control a really really cool thing utterly fucking ridiculous but cool this is the kind of sequence that is why this movie is so good and whilst watching it i was kind of like like, god is this movie genuinely incredible is this (laughs) is this like a lost masterpiece that not enough people like appreciate and obviously people love the mission impossible movies but i'm like ghost protocol will quite often end up like middle of the pack at this point mission impossible movies like sometimes you find people go like oh the first mission possible is better than this and i'm sat there watching it this time going like this is genuinely kind of incredible it's just fun for a while (laughs) yes it has a pace it's not letting go yeah and i'm having the best time and i'm like wow Weird that the movie still got like another two hours to go, but we'll just see where. <laughs> yeah, Sass walked in and was like, "I, I showed her this scene, and and it was like, yeah, this is cool, and the Burj Khalifa stuff, kind of cool." And then, but she didn't see much of the first hour, so she by the end of it was like, "This movie isn't good," and I was like, "Ah, the first hour kind of is," and yeah, it's. Mm. Yeah, and this this little screen is actually a little nod to the TV show, which used a far more low-tech version of it, so that's nice. I like Cobalt as this kind of, like, silver fox who's, like, framing them up real good, talking on their radio frequency and be like, yes, go ahead, leader, I'll trigger the detonation and all of that, and, like, walking right past Tom Cruise and all of that is really good, and I thought this villain was going to be better than he was based on this scene, but never mind. Tom Cruise's fucking Russian officer jacket is reversible and that's, it's so cool that's just what the fuck but good it's all done in one shot as well he yeah. like takes it off like tom cruise taking off a jacket putting on a jacket great yeah. great physical actor bruce Love springsteen it. t-shirt obviously the glasses the hat 
the map, all good stuff, and then he runs away terribly from a terrible CGI earthquake. He runs away greatly because uh, Tom Cruise is the best on-screen runner. He's gotten worse at it as he's gotten older because I mean, I mean, Mission Impossible Three is peak Tom Cruise running movie. Yes, but I mean, maybe, maybe Fallout tops it at this point. He, he is... doesn't. Oh, really? Okay. There's a lot of running and fallout. Okay. So he wakes up in a hospital. He flees because the Russian authority... You know, it looks like IMF did this. Ethan calls for an extraction. He is met by... They just call him the secretary. And I think he's referred to as the IMF secretary. Are we reading... He's uncredited, isn't he? Yeah, he is. It's Tom Wilkinson, but like, are we reading this as the Secretary of Defense, the Secretary of Foreign Affairs? Like, I no, I think I think he is just the IMF Secretary. Okay. He is the same role as Anthony Hopkins and Lawrence Fishburne in the yeah, previous. I, yeah, okay, sure. Who tells him Ghost Protocol is in effect? I already explained it once. Don't make me do it again. <laughs> because everyone knows what Ghost Protocol is. It's it's a well-known thing. Yes. This title makes sense. Yeah, he is accompanied by William Brandt, who is a chief analyst for the IMF. Before he he's basically like, look, Ethan, you're going to prison. But if you were to escape, if you were to assault the two of us and escape and go to the one safe house I forgot about and do this, 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 and this, then maybe, but then he gets killed and Ethan and Brent get away. So in the hospital, I really like the subtitles being in Russian and gradually changing to English as Ethan, like, you know, regains full consciousness. I think that's a really nice beat. As I said, reading lips in Russian, just madness. Ethan Hunt is a perfect man, apparently. <laughs> I really like, so this Russian policeman whose name i've forgotten already anatoly sidorov sidorov just watching him shimmy out onto the balcony and just light up a cigarette and be like well what are you gonna do he's like go did, ahead did this seem like a good idea yeah he's like, like yeah we're on like the, the fifth story of the building <laughs> yeah and he's like yeah it seemed it at the time and then instead he uses his belt and like a telephone wire to zip line down onto a moving van roll off the top shirtless on concrete not a scratch on him fuck you i don't i mean cruz does all his stunts did he do this? Did he do a roll on concrete shirtless? That's painful. I wouldn't do it, but who knows? The cop character, he's going to be in it a surprising amount for how little impact he has on It anything. feels like a kind of Tintin riff in some ways, where I it's guess. like the international police are chasing him because they think that they know like who's done it, and it's all done for comedy, but it's like this section of the plot got yanked out and all you get is the kind of comedic endpoint for it. I mean, Tom Cruise looks like shit at the top of that building as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's important to know. He looks he looks so bad. Like, yeah. I don't know what's going on. It's like, he has ribs and then they just kind of cut in directly and it's like, have you emaciated yourself or is this like something they've done in CGI? I mean, CGI he's supposed to have been in prison, I guess, but... But it's just so... He looks so weird. Yeah, I'm just thinking, how many roles is Tom Cruise is shirtless in? And like, I don't think he's... He has been in the first three Mission Impossibles. Is he just a very weirdly shaped person? Maybe. And, like, I don't know. It's an odd choice to take your shirt off for the first... Uh, probably not yet the first time, but, you know, for one of the first times in your, like, 40s. I, I mean, he's so. definitely topless in Top Gun. Yes. Yes. Okay. But, you know, to not do it for so long and then do it and it's like, oh, you look strange. Sinewy. There's this whole plot with this Russian dude that Hendrix approaches and, like, oh, we have to get our kids and our kid and run. And then, oh, you're sitting in the living room now. And it's like, it, I feel this is something that there was some plot cut because it just doesn't quite pay off. But hey. It, it, it probably is going to be like Chris McQuarrie walks into the room and goes, right, what can I cut? And he goes, oh, God, this thing with the guy who has to know the codes? Like, that can't stay in there. <laughs> and they go, like, we've already shot the entire Burj Khalifa thing. We can't just have a guy there who, yeah. like, we don't know who it is in the movie. True. And now here's Jeremy Renner to ruin everything for everyone. I like Ethan, again, more superpowers, perfectly sketching Hendrix on his palm with a biro in, <laughs> what, 10 seconds? But then Jeremy Renner's just like, mm, Oh, I, I know mean, who that is, yeah. <laughs> you no, know, but the, the drawing's not great, but from the description, I can, I can probably intuit who it is. Yes, and he also has the encyclopedic memory, much like Ethan. Is Jeremy Renner supposed to be playing like Jack Ryan? <laughs> I mean, it's just like, when they say analyst, I'm just like, isn't that what Jack Ryan is before he became president of the United States of America? Jack Ryan becomes president of the United States of America. Oh, are you, are you not up to date on the books? Yeah, Jack Ryan's president of the United States of America. Oh my god. <laughs> we did a whole Mission Impossible 2 podcast, and that's the craziest thing we've said so far. 
So, occupation of Jack Ryan, complete tangent right now. USC Second Lieutenant, uh, Professor of US Naval Academy, CIA Special Assistant, Acting Deputy Director for Intelligence at the CIA, Deputy Director of the CIA, National Security Advisor, US Vice President, US President are his occupations. No. Je refuse. For two administrations. Is is John Krasinski going to play the president one day? <laughs> I, I don't know. He's been president since 1996, Matt. I don't understand why you're so confused. Because who reads Jack Ryan books? Many people. Why do you think there are six actors who have played Jack Ryan at this point? Or five, sorry, five actors. Look, whatever. Brant and Hunt are (laughs) off together. He's asking the questions. They meet up with Benji and Carter at this last IMF safe house, which is a moving train, which is fun. Ethan briefs them on Hendrick's associate, who's going to buy codes from Moreau at the Burj Hotel in Dubai. So... Yeah, Renner annoying Cruz while trying to, like, learn from him is... Uh, I don't know if it... I guess it is more, like, trying to, as we said, be like, hey, do you think about these things? And him just be like, nah, not really. But you could also see it as, like, you know, he's becoming his protege. And it's... Well, the last thing is, I, I just quite enjoy... Obviously, like, the, the, the car they're in hits the water, and yes. they're trying to, like, get oxygen, and so Ethan just kind of connects a flare to the corpse of Tom Wilkinson and sends it across the river, and everyone starts shooting and Brant's just like, why do you think that would work? Why Why would they think that someone would light a flare underwater and then swim it away? It's like, eh, I don't know, people are dumb, don't think about things. What did you think they were thinking in that moment? I didn't think they were thinking anything. And then they try and get on the train. Yeah, the moving right train car that they have to do a retinal scan on and he has to, like, jump onto the side, he hold keeps still. On, he keeps on, like, trying to... He does the first thing. It was like, right, cool, I can get on now. Press like, oh, enter. Oh, no, you need to do the second thing. <laughs> and yeah, and he puts in the code, and then they keep running, and then press enter. Oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> it's all these it. little bits that feel like such Brad Birdisms, where it's just yeah, like yeah, yeah. it can't go one hundred percent correctly, and it probably is something that on set they're just like, wouldn't it be funny if it didn't go right? What if? Yeah. And then, as I said, like this scene where Tom Cruise is pointing at all these different screens that each have a different person on, and he's going, "This person is going to meet this person to get it for this person," and it's just it's not flashy, but it's just it works incredibly well I think like the physical space and having these giant pictures of them up on the screen as like it's helpful for an audience who might be quite confused about what the fuck the plot is at this point to be like oh this is happening with this person here boom who knew that hiring someone who worked in animation which is all about kind of like limited use of information to convey an awful lot yeah. in kind of a limited time frame would be a good person to do these kind of like info dump yeah. set pieces and I think because I don't I don't want to sound like I'm being dismissive here but like because you have total control of what your image looks like and to a degree that you kind of don't as much with live action like you have to physically get these things whereas you can draw a scene to look however you want and I think because of that you have a, mu- a much greater sort of sense of like a clearer picture of what you want it to look like because they literally have a picture of what they want it to look like and as you said like animation famous for our script came in at 23 minutes and we had to make it 21 minutes so we had to like be precise as shit and cut things down and they make this elaborate plan to go to the Burj Hotel and make both parties believe they're in the correct room, the same room, when they're in fact in different rooms, on different floors, and they will double them to each other, and basically each party will think they've traded the thing, and they have given both to IMF instead. Sure, before they can do that though, they need to get into the hotel server room on the, what, 200th floor, 135th floor, something like this, and this... Burj Khalifa is a very tall building I the think the tallest building <laughs> the tallest building there is a building that will be taller yes but it is not finished yet no and I do like the degree to which Benji is like oh I could have done this 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 and this if we had resources and time but we don't have any of that so you're going to have and to climb up the outside and very helpfully Brant said the entire time kind of going like this like this is the amount of time we have until the meet and there's a ticking clock to this first section of it which is yeah. it's fun. like a more effective ticking clock than they had in MI3 with the skyscraper scene there where it was like oh we've got two hours oh we've got 20 minutes oh we've got eight minutes it's like oh okay. yeah because like <laughs> even though you know it's not five minutes I mean it actually might be done in real time I'm not actually sure if it is done in real time or I not. do not but... know <laughs> But yeah, while they're like driving over there, Brandt is just very casually like, oh, it's the tallest building in the world. And then when Benji is like, you're going to have to climb the outside. It's like, okay, that's why you said that. Because you really, really, really want to stress this is a big fucking building. 
And yeah, like running through, oh, well, yeah, of course I could just hack it remotely, but we don't have the support from IMF, so you're going to have to climb up the outside. And seeing Ethan actually be like, do I have to? While the other <laughs> two were kind of like, Go on, off you go. It is actually really refreshing, I think. I can't remember I can't remember what the what the other excuses are where it's like Benji's like, Oh, I've got to be on the computer. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> like like, oh we can't do it. Oh no, uh, Brant's just like, I'm just the help. Like Well, because they called him that he's like, What will I do? Like, You're the helper. And and yeah, he's like, Yeah, we need to do this. He's like, We? He's like, Well, obviously I'm on the computer. <laughs> uh Simon Pegg is really good in this, I think. Like the smartest well, maybe not the smartest decision, but it's a good decision to have someone who is more comedic in the field and I mean like obviously the worst case scenario would have been if they'd hired Ricky Gervais for the last movie and yeah. we had Ricky Gervais following us around now because Simon Pegg well I doubt he would have graduated to the field agent role that Simon Pegg did I mean that's the thing Simon Pegg gets buff he does kind hot of, fuzz thanks yeah, yeah hot fuzz gets him buff and then after that he kind of becomes not Hollywood leading man but like Hollywood number three on the call sheet kind of thing like a recognisable face in mainstream yes. movies worldwide not just little British things and Paul <laughs> and Paul what an insane thing this is as they cut the window out and like also there's a sandstorm coming and they've just taken out one of the windows it's like surely you would fuck up this hotel and then yeah him going out in his little climbing outfit with his little his little tiny shoes blue is glue red is dead (laughs) blue is glue red is dead the camera like following him out of the window frame from above. Is this the first IMAX shot in the movie? Like, is this the only sequence in the movie that's done in IMAX? Because uh, like, they got a lot of IMAX stuff, and I think they, f- I think it said they filmed seventy minutes of stuff in IMAX, which is crazy. But the this must must have looked real good because it looks real good in non IMAX and just <laughs> my home. Just that sense of you would assume this is all just trickery, but they did this. Tom Cruise. <laughs> was hanging off the Burj Khalifa with a, you know, an immense number of cables and whatnot. But they did this, and that camera, it tracks him as he goes from inside of that building to outside of that building, looking straight down. And, you know, the advantage of Tom Cruise doing his own stunts is that you can take these long shots, as in, like, length of shot, and you can do them up close, and you can show him, you don't have to hide him, you don't have to do cuts, and you can just be like, look, this is what this is. And I am sure most people are walking around being like, oh, that's fake, but like, at least it's a good-looking fake if that's what you think it is. Insane. What a crazy scene. One of the gloves <laughs> like- stops working, he fucking falls at one point, <laughs> and then grabs back on. So he's climbing with like, you know, he's got one super adhesive thing, and then the rest is just him pushing his feet and other hand outwards into the frames. It's like, good thing you chose to climb a spot where that's possible, you dick. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is, I, what I love so much about this is it looks fucking great. Yeah, it's so well shot by Brad Bird, and I, I like again, I do, do not have enough good things to say about Brad Bird for this movie. Yeah, where he just has such an immense sense of control yeah. and timing and pacing and coming off of kind of not not three or four back to back, but like very born esque movies in terms of how they're shot and edited. Yeah, to have this clean stunt sequence which is just like all about the process and how it works and a little bit lighthearted, despite trying to I guess 3 was quite heavy but it's got some heavy stuff in there but like the tone is overall pretty lighthearted, and like you can see why like they literally cast him for how he handled the Incredibles and the sort of spy stuff happening there which is a lighter element compared to the overall film but like he brings that whole tone and like more of like the comedy stuff of like, you know, he just tosses that glove away when it's not working. It's like, what if it had just started working again in a minute? You don't want to just uh, just hold on to it? And but then, like, that's, that's and my favourite thing. Like, it's like, it goes, it goes up though. Yeah, it's flapped away and it's like attached itself higher up. Great stuff. Kicking out the fucking window frame. Again, with only one hand to keep him attached to the side. <laughs> just leaping back and kicking his way in. Kind of fucks himself up on the landing coming in with the glass everywhere. Does what he needs to do. Then he has to get back down. But he has to do it quickly. So he grabs like some cable or something and like fucking abseils down the side. But it's or not he's, long enough. Or he's like sprinting down the side. And then it's not long enough. And, like, Brant is like, doesn't Brant even say it's not long enough? And he's like, no shit! (laughs) And then he runs the other way so that he can kick off, sail around, cut his cord at the right moment, and then he fucking wipes himself out (laughs) on the top part of the frame. And if not for Brant and Carter being quick enough to catch him, dead Ethan Cunt. Which just really, really hammers home. He is not in control of any situation. (laughs) It's uh, so good. Uh, is, if is only this... this were the climax 
the climactic action scene of the fucking film. Yeah, uh, is is this the moment when Mission Impossible becomes Mission Impossible? Like, I, I do think J.J. Abrams' involvement is kind of like where modern Mission Impossible starts, but I think this stunt is where the series becomes like, we're going to be the the insane process movie. Well, I don't know, because this is the last one of these I have seen before. Oh, so. okay. <laughs> okay. I do know they do some ridiculous stuff, and there's a thing with a plane where Tom Cruise <laughs> nearly yeah, died. Yeah, that is, a, that is a thing that they do. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know, like, I, I love the end to this set piece where they drag Ethan back inside, and then Benji's <laughs> just like, I did it, I changed all the numbers on the doors. It was tricky there, but I did it, yeah. <laughs> What did I miss? And they're just like, fuck you, Benji. And then Les Du shows up. So they, you know, Ethan and Carter impersonate the re- relevant parties. Things go south. Carter kicks Moreau out a window. Ethan <laughs> chases Winstrom through a sandstorm. It's Hendrix. He gets away. Okay, so let's do it. Brant has to basically be their facial recognition software because they don't have any of that going on and he's just looking at security cameras and being like, oh, that's blah, blah. The mask machine craps out, like you said, like sprays too much skin tone on one point, ruins the masks. But they go it, and it, like, again, like, he is not in control. He's just working off a hunch. He's like, hey, what if they've never seen each other before? <laughs> like, just, just they're about to open the door. Let's like, just go for it. Let's just go and just be them as ourselves. And then you have this scene playing out, and I really like Carter just waiting for the actual Moreau to say something, and then saying her exact line, to just try and mimic the way she talks, because it is actually how she talks. I mean, lucky that Winst- Winstrom isn't like, sorry, Wistrom isn't like, hey, you're being quite silent. <laughs> but yeah, this is this is kind of a good scene, and like you know, the two separate but identical tense scenes playing out. And I, I love the camera move where it just kind of pans down from yes. one to the other. I love the really bizarre touch where Jane puts down the exact same thing that's on the table in the room above them for like no discernible reason, really. Yeah, just but to it, sell the scene. <laughs> it, it just, but it just it, it makes it so clean because yeah. like, the movie's cross cutting between these two things, and they're sat in the same locations. Yeah in both versions of it and like it's just Simon Pegg walking in and just doing the creepy fake hand shit to swipe the diamonds which he puts in a teacup which he brings in as room service and like that's ostensibly how Tom Cruise or how Ethan and Brandt are like oh this is where the diamonds are we're having them brought in by room service so the original plan is Renner is wearing a contact lens that he can't see through that if he blinks twice takes a picture which will print a scrambled version of a document into the briefcase in the other room because they don't want Wistrom to have the real nuclear codes. Yes, but don't they change it so that they, 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 yeah, because he because Wistrom brings with him someone an who can nuclear actually, code expert. Yeah, right. Yeah, so he has to on the fly change it. And and Brandt is like, I'll throw these out the fucking window. Like I don't give a shit. But they're like, look, he will if he doesn't get them today, he will just go get them tomorrow. Can you say for sure that this isn't the best way to stop him here and now? And he relents because he's an analyst, or is he? I do like that Leia Seydal notices that Renner is sitting there blinking like a crazy person and, like, physically sees the lens on his eye in a minute, which I don't know I if mean, she would be able to, but, you know. I, I mean, like I mean Hannaway wore one as well. Yeah, true. And I do like that. Uh, we didn't mention it, but, like, he sees her and then that prompts a text to his phone that says, warning assassin, and looking down is what gets him killed. <laughs> we get a girl fight because Carter has to fight Moreau. And meanwhile, like, you know, Ethan is running around after... What they think is Wistrom. Wistrom has killed this expert, blah blah blah, the, the Russian police dudes intervene, and it feels kind of uncharacteristic to follow through on this character, but it also kind of feels like it's derailing the plot constantly, but I kind of see what you're saying about the Tintin thing of, like, that's on purpose, it's just, I think just the execution of it could have paid it, it, off a it's bit an, better. It's another wrinkle to the plot to have someone else who is ostensibly a good guy following around because he doesn't understand what's going on, and like it adds to the tension of the scene where like cr- like Hunt is following Wistrom down the stairs, and then the the police officer spies him, and then the shootout starts, and yeah. <laughs> Wistrom gets away, and like and like it, it kicks off. And the most bizarre thing about this is you're sat there and you kind of go like, how isn't this the end of the movie? I know. Oh my god, I was like you said in my head. They run from this hotel to that car park at the end. 
and that's the end. And I looked at the runtime. I was like, how the fucking Christ is there 55 minutes left in this movie unless the end credits are 30 minutes long? <laughs> and I'm going to start sounding more annoyed from this point on. Like I said, the, uh, car chase, the car chase in the, in the sandstorm, good. Like that. I, I, I guess. Like, yeah, you don't see a lot of sandstorm scenes and it's visually kind of interesting, but... Yeah, and, like, the whole time I was like, why isn't this just Hendrix? Like, why is why are we spending so much time with Wistrom when we're at the end? And I was like, again, oh, again, because has- it's not the end, and... It is Hendrix. But again, this has to be... They filmed this already. They couldn't go back and redo the Burj Khalifa stuff. Macquarie's just like, oh god, do I really have to go through with this? Like, it feels like remnants of an older, more complex plot. Quite frankly, this should have been the climax of the movie. There shouldn't have even been a Wistrom. It should have just been Hendrix, like, openly. And Ethan should have stopped him at the end. And then we all get to go home earlier. Carter has kicked Moreau out of a window and, like, you know, wrapped up her sort of through line. And that fight is good because they're both doing their own stunts and you can tell they are. Like, it's not the smoothest fight in the world for, like, an international assassin and an international special agent, but it's good enough. Um, Leia Sadao and Paul Patton are good in this movie. Um, I've not seen Leia Sadao in the Bond movies that she's in. I have to assume that she's hired because she's good at this kind of stuff. Yeah, Yeah. she's she's the right inspector, I guess. Okay. Yeah. She's just great. More stuff with Leia Sadao, please. But yeah, the I just want us to all have gone home half an hour earlier than we get to. Because, like, I made this complaint in 3. That I think everything after the interrogation is kind of bad, but then the ending is good. This made me long for Mission Impossible 3's <laughs> version of this. This might be the most egregious example of a film being too long I have ever seen. Because, like, we talk about how Last Jedi feels like it's emotionally finished. And then they go to that planet at the end but like the stuff that happens after that is at least good it's just it feels like it's too long i fucking hate everything that happens after this pretty much with a couple of exceptions but like like quite frankly my description here is ethan does a bunch of bullshit that leads them to a rich dude's party in mumbai because he has to go and meet bogdan who links him up with his brother, who is an arms dealer, and Ethan deliberately gets himself ratted on, and he leads him to Mumbai. It's like he's buying an old Soviet satellite, which he can use to launch the nukes. And the only good thing happening here is Ethan outing Brent as more than just an analyst. And that is a really fun exchange when he, like, points the gun at him and then he takes it off him and then he, you know, they're like going back and forth and he dismantles the gun and it's like, hmm, that's a lot of skill for an analyst. And then he has to reveal his secret, but he does it when Ethan isn't in the room because giant bombshell to drop an hour in. He was assigned to protect Ethan and Julia and it went badly and Julia died and then Ethan murdered the people that did it and got himself put in prison. Is how we are presented the events. It will later turn out to all be a deception. But yeah, it's a heavy thing. And when he's like, I never saw the husband again until three days ago in a in a car with the secretary or whatever. And it's like, oh shit, this is interesting. But this might be the last good thing that happens until the literal end, in my opinion. Uh, I mean, the best thing is, like, I think it's very obvious that Brant's plot has been, like, completely aborted. Because, like, you get the scene in the hotel where Brant knows how to, like, dismantle the gun and take out the guards. And Ethan's just kind of like, ooh, who are you? We need to have a conversation about this. Then the movie just kind of goes, like, the next scene where it's just like, here's his backstory. And he will have nothing to do, really, in the final fight scene because Benji's going to save the day. Do you think at one point they filmed this scene or were planning to film this this flashback? Because, I mean, I think him standing there and delivering it, he's doing a good job. Like, Renner, as we discussed in Hurt Locker, for his many flaws as a real human being, can bring it when he's motivated enough to act. I, yeah. I, I, do, I don't know whether or not, like, this was always the plan for the backstory, but it feels like... Maybe this was the plan for the backstory, but it feels like... Oh, the whole Tom, thing was... Oh, okay. to, like, like, Tom Cruise breaking his leg, or, like, Ethan breaking his leg feels like he gets sidelined and and then Brand Brand has to do it all yeah yeah it feels like that that's kind of what they're building to but instead Corey comes in and kind of goes like no 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 Ethan Hunt is the hero of this movie yeah and you know what adds even more credence to all of this the fucking car park 
is in Dubai, and they're saying it's in India, but they shot it in Dubai, so it's like, this very well could have been, like, the next scene, <laughs> and then have Brandt do a bunch of shit after that, I don't know, but... The dude that makes Ethan put a mask on, I don't know if you caught this, is the dude that made him put one on to meet Max in the first Mission Impossible. Hmm. I don't know if it's supposed to be the same character, but it's the same actor. That's fun. And then they go to Mumbai, and again, I think this hotel was in Dubai that's meant to be this dude's house, I guess. All of this is awful. Carter having to seduce him to get the codes, the weird floating magnet suit shit. That I like the weird float. Again, I'm, at this point, I'm so checked out of like what the plot is, <sighs> but the action set pieces are visually interesting enough that I'm still into it. I'm not kind of going like, this is the best action movie of like the last 10 years or so, kind of pumped, but I'm still kind of going like, no, mm. I enjoy how it all looks, how it's all connecting together. The weird cuckishness of, like, Emil Kapoor is interesting. Mm. I don't know why anyone looked at Slumdog Millionaire and was just like, ah, oh, yes, we should hire this guy to be... I don't know why any of this is in the movie. I really don't. I think I mean, it's all it, just it, a bunch it, of bullshit that, like... It, and especially fair. following Dubai with this. Yeah, no, it, it, it's a massive come down. Like, in my head, it's like, it's a five-star movie coming down to a three-star movie. Yeah, um, <laughs> quite frankly. Like, it's a pretty seismic dross, drop. But the things that I think are interesting are, like, the characters being quiet and just letting Brad Bird direct them around. I'm digging it. I guess. And... Simon Pegg explaining the magnet suit to Jeremy Renner is more fun than it actually happening, in my opinion, where he keeps going, like, and I'll catch you. And he's like, oh, oh, and now there's this. So it'll be hot, will it? Yes. Oh, yeah. It'll get pretty hot. So I'm basically jumping into an oven. Yeah, and I'll catch you. <laughs> All of that is fun. But then seeing it and seeing Jeremy Renner, like, floating through corridors, that's a step far for my personal taste of, like, campy secret agent bullshittery, but each to their own. Yeah, and then it all is just for nothing, because Hendrix just gets there first. So they've just done all this elaborate bullshit, and they didn't need to do any of it. But I guess that's what we keep doing here. I mean, that's not... It's, it's, it's the spy movie cliche, and you know they're gonna have to do it at the last minute. The movie just kind of keeps on moving what the parameters of the last minute are, where it's like, we're gonna stop him before he launches the nuke. Oh shit, he's launched the nuke, we've now got whilst the rocket's in the air time to kind of... Yep. stop him from doing it and it keeps the tension going but yeah. you're always kind of back in mind going like well they're gonna have to save yeah. the day be ballsy for this movie to end with him nuking san francisco <laughs> goodbye pixar <laughs> headquarters the bmw i8 is a beautiful fucking car i don't really give a shit about cars but that electric car he's driving around is is very pretty um but yeah they he has to race across Mumbai to make it to the like abandoned TV station that Hendrix is using to connect to the satellite that he's bought off Bridge and Earth and like yeah just who could care at this point in my opinion but but that's like like it I don't care I think Michael Nyquist is fine as the villain, but he's so incredibly boring and there yeah. is nothing more to him than he is literally a cipher for plot to happen around him. Um, There's a the version movie... of this that's really good, like this sort of I was digging his first appearance as this kind of like silver-haired cat burglar almost that is just a step ahead of them, but then it's just like what if he were just a crazy man about nuclear war and you don't really see him that much and somehow he can kick Ethan's, I mean I know he breaks Ethan's leg but like he sort of is Ethan's most enduring physical challenge in the series to date and yet he's just he's not even like a fighter man he's he's a as an analyst he's what Brandt claimed to be he's a strategist so. it's one of those things where like there's such a gap between the script and the visuals on the screen mm. and I think some someone who is kind of more in line with like I want story or interesting plot stuff and I'm kind of sat there going like this looks great feels great I'm super into like the mechanics of everything that's going on I'm still able to like derive some enjoyment of it because I'm just watching Brad Bird yeah. do all this stuff and like the, the set the set piece in the parking garage is really good. I just love how kind of minimalist it gets. And then ultimately when, like, Hunt's about to win, Hendrix kind of go like, well, fuck you. I'm just going to kill myself. Yeah, I, don't, I, just, I don't give a shit. He's truly committed to his ideals. And then, <laughs> that doesn't even work. I like it goes the other way. Things keep not quite working out and then it happens to him. Because he throws himself off with the hope that it will damage the case and also it will be too far away for Hunt to get to. And then the case is fine and Hunt just fucking drives a 
a car over the edge and <laughs> nosedives into the ground. While you've got like Wistrom teleporting back inside the building, Carter not realising she's been shot, so she has to stand and watch Simon Pegg do things while Brandt gets to take down this character that was not in any way fully developed. The Russians exonerate Ethan. That cop shows up and is like, ah, oh, you're telling the truth. We are friends. <laughs> you're telling the truth. And Ethan's just like, oh, fucking finally, this guy gets it. This guy gets it. And he says, mission accomplished. <laughs> and I do like that when we cut to however many months later or weeks later, Luther in his cameo is like, you said, mission accomplished. Uh, that's good stuff. And he's having to dig this warhead out of the bottom of San Francisco Bay because, yeah, it like, it's flying right at the fucking pyramid building thing in San Francisco and it just it hits it and then just crashes into the water it's like I'm pretty sure I'm not saying that they could shoot it out of the air but that like this is happening while everyone's oblivious and there's no like oh our missile defense system has been triggered there's a missile coming oh no we can't get to it in time that none of that is happening is a bit jarring that it's just and I guess they're trying to sell that thing of of what Benji says of like these people are just walking around living their lives and they almost all died oh it's mad isn't it and it's like yeah, I guess it is, but uh, aggressive middle finger to everything between Dubai and the pier at the end, in my opinion, including the car park. I didn't really enjoy seeing the two of them just scramble around, not very gracefully in this car park, and like, you know, Ethan's got the broken leg, and, and Hendrix isn't like an uber athlete, so they're just sort of frantically scrambling around. I like the case, like, going under the car, and then he has to climb over the car, and drop down to the car like that stuff's good i suppose but I, I i do think it's a step down but the stuff that's keeping me going is kind of going like well the plot's now kind of tanked but brad bird is holding this together the actors are holding it together mm. but yeah like i i can't <laughs> i can't say that like this movie is great all the way through because it does just kind of become less interesting in the last hour the, the the emotional climax happens and then you're like you could make this kind of like quite a clean 90 minute yep. movie if you really wanted to i would just be singing the goddamn praises of this movie if they went from dubai to the car park to the end they would have to do some legwork to make that connect right but yeah and you know ethan offers them all a phone to come back and be agents again and ethan and carter get a little how are you doing with your loved one being dead thing and then it turns out Julia's not even fucking dead but yeah they all go off and Brant only accepts his phone after Ethan tells him oh that was all fake you got set up I did this so that she could get a new identity and be safe away from me and I could get into the prison to get intel about Hendrix which is why he knows everything about Cobalt at the beginning kind of a twist on the Prague mission in the first one where it's like a mission to rat out a mole rat out a mole (laughs) to find a mole but now Ethan is the one pulling the strings and just her in the distance like watching her slowly walk up the pier and then Brant walks away and then Ethan watches her from the distance and she turns just in time to see him and it's like is that guy she's with supposed to be like her new boyfriend or husband like I think it's just a co-worker from okay from the hospital but yeah like you know quite a bold thing to be like oh she died and then another bold thing to be like oh she's alive but they're not together anymore after they like made this huge deal of him being able to actually have the happy life in three but then like again this idea that he loves doing this because he just walks off listening to his next mission and disappears into the smoke i think and i think the next mission is setting up the villains in rogue nation oh is it actually oh they've taken control of all of our drones <laughs> i don't think the drones are involved but like oh. i think the syndicate are the oh the, the syndicate cri- yes very Spectre. I would have said this is one of the best movies we've covered, but I'm so pissed off at that last bit that that's knocking it down into the top of the middle tier for me. That's fine. I've got it number two on wow. my like unofficial ranking that I'm doing. I just I just think that first hour is so good. It's like, really I th- good, but you can't. I'm I can't overlook a film that is really good and then gets bad. Like it's the same reason that like I'm I can't in good conscience say that I think Cinderella is better than Skyfall because while the end of Skyfall is a tonal shift, I still think it's good. Whereas I think the Cinderella stuff from the hospital to the end is middling. But this is far more pronounced. Uh, and it's the same complaint I had about three, where like, how good is Philip Philip Seymour Hoffman? How fun is the Vatican? How fun is this cold open? And then here's a bunch of bullshit, and he's running, and now here's a good ending. And like, I didn't even appreciate the ending for 
fully because of how annoyed I was and how bored I was by the half hour that happened before that. And it's the same here where like, yeah, some of that car park stuff could have been cool if I was not just completely checked out following Dubai. And like, why wasn't it just Hendrix going to the meeting himself? Why bother with Wistrom? Why tag a half hour on the end of the movie? Like I, in my head, movie studios don't want to make like four hour movies. They want to keep cutting them down because people go see movies. But I think, I think a, two, a two hour movie is kind of the ideal, but it's drifting up to two and a half hours. They're all too long, every one of them. They should be aiming for 90 and set so, for two but hours. Would you, would you agree this is the best Mission Impossible movie we've done so far? Uh, or do, is three better for you? It's interesting. The highs are, high, are the highest in the franchise so far, but three pissed me off less than this did. <laughs> but then, like, I'm flying higher, but that's probably why it pissed me off so much, is that it went from so, so high to everything in Mumbai I think is fucking terrible, personally, except maybe the car park. But I would rather watch three again, <laughs> to be honest. I'd rather stop watching after Dubai in this movie and pretend that's the end. I mean, that's the thing is, you can, you can quite easily go onto YouTube and just load up the Burj Khalifa scene and be like, this is great this is this is peak mission impossible maybe so we have some responsibilities villain watch is one of them kurt hendrix is a non-entity like the the, the villains in this movie are like nothing like i think the thing that chris mccrory did when he came in was basically go like the plot is too complicated and the plot is probably too tied up into villain motivations what the villains like michael nykist goes on to do john wick after this he's so much more fun in john wick yeah like but he's basically a complete non-entity i like individual character beats like as i said i like the thing of him being such a nihilist that he just kills himself at the end of the movie. Yeah, that's um, that's fitting. It's not just, Mwahaha. oh, I haven't thought this through. It's like, he like, actually genuinely believes that it is good for the human race to have a little bit of a cull. But um, like, if we're saying that like Philip Seymour Hoffman is like pinnacle of this franchise villain, hmm. and Dugray Scott is like the, the opposite end, um, <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman's like a 10, and Dugray Scott's like a negative 10, like a Michael's like a 0, like directly in the middle, where just, it's like... He just doesn't exist basically and like the villain of this film is arguably like the technology crapping out like, and then the plan's not quite going right i could have done for moreau Lea Seydal to have been a larger factor because I think she is giving the best of the three villain performances. If you want to throw in uh, Sidorov as an antagonist turned ally, I guess he would be second for me. But yeah, she's great. She looks really good at like being menacing in the hotel when she's just sitting there just seething at them all. She's fun when she's murdering Josh Holloway. Like If they could have found a way for her to be a larger presence, cut Wistrom, have Hendrix just be his own henchman, and beef up Moreau's role. I think we could have had a really good villain here in Moreau, but instead it's just, like... I feel Lea Seydal accepts a lot of roles that, like, are dramatically underusing her, and this is one of many of those. <laughs> yeah. so, so since we've, like, officially come out and done three Lea Seydal movies at this point... Is it three? No, we've done two. We will do three with Spectre. When do we do Death Stranding? <laughs> <laughs> well, while Mads was making it work, her stuff, less good... Her character is called Fragile, and her catchphrase is, I'm fragile, but not that fragile. (laughs) And, yeah, I have not played the game, I have only seen extensive video of it, and, yeah, she's slumming it there. (laughs) Let's say that. How did Tom survive the fucking Burj Khalifa? Madness that he did that. I don't care how many cables there were. He was a thousand feet in the air, (laughs) hanging off the side of a building. (sighs) Yeah, like, I, like, how do you how to survive? It's probably one of the best stunts in a movie ever. Yeah, I yeah. think I think it's fair to say. Like, I don't think even coming up from the start of Mission Possible Two with him hanging off the side of that cliff, it looks cool, but mm. it's nowhere near as impressive as this movie. Where like yeah. the opening shot of it is just like, hey, we're going to do an over the ca- over the head shot of the ground yeah. beneath us. This is a top five, top ten all-time action movie set piece, in my opinion. Or a, or a stunt set piece. I don't know what you want to call it. But... No, I, I, think, I think it's completely fair. I think if you're doing, like, this is why stunt Oscars should exist, and I know yeah. a lot of it is Tom Cruise on this thing, but, like, this is what needs to be honoured at the Oscars, uh, is this kind of insanity. Yeah. Um, and the stunt crew that would go into doing this kind of stuff. I mean, obviously... And also, it's another ex- excuse to have, like, big grossing action movies show up at the Oscars. Yeah, because this have is the a... stuff they do well. <laughs> like... Yeah, exactly. Like, you can have an Oscar which is, like, Mission Impossible and John Wick and all these different movies that have, like, really impressive stunt crews yeah. doing stuff. But, yeah, this this is incredible. It's insane. I don't think... 
I don't think there are set pieces in Rogue Nation or Fallout that top this, but I think it does. I do mark. hear people going on and on about that plane scene. So. The plane scene's great. <laughs> I look but forward I, to I'm, that. <laughs> I'm just intrigued what your reaction's going to be to kind of what the movie is afterwards. Okay. Again, if he did that roll off the van onto concrete, he's crazy. And just generally, it's got like the biggest stunt he's ever done, but it also feels like it's got fewer stunts than normal at the same time. Like, overall? Probably more akin to the first Mission Impossible, where there is just the one big set piece in the movie. I'm going to assume he didn't drive a car (laughs) into a nosedive in a car park. We'll also assume he didn't break his leg. But (laughs) Well, um, yes. That's the other thing I like about this movie, is when we say, how did did he survive? Ethan Hunt is really bit battered at the end of this movie. Like, in all the other movies, like, yes, he had his, like, brain hemorrhage at the end of Mission (laughs) Impossible 3. But, like... There's real world kind of damage to to Ethan in the end of this movie, which I appreciate as like, he is human, even whilst he is not human. Literally dying did less to him than this did, so... Female agency. So Jane Carter, Paula Patton, ad- another mixed bag. The best treated female character in Mission Impossible so far, probably, because they do give her that vague actual through line. It's like a more realised version of Kerry Russell in-, in 3, because she's in and out in five minutes. You know, the male fridging with Josh Holloway gives her an actual story. She has an actual nemesis. It kind of sucks that the women have to fight each other, but I don't know. You get into some other territory if you have. But, but then it, like, once she's killed women, yeah. Once oh, she's killed Bro, her story's over. Exactly. And... Well, yeah, they try it. And, like, they very briefly, he's like, don't hit me, but I have to make out with you right now to make this horny Indian billionaire, like. <laughs> like, he must be cucked. He must be cucked. Yes. And he's like, oh, you're such a passionate creature. That scene, bad stuff. Her having to wear this ridiculous dress. And then just being lingerie in the car. It's like, did you have to show her, like, changing out of the dress? Like, they they do this shit all the time. Like, Scarlett Johansson in the car in Iron Man 2. And stop doing this scene of, like, just pervy shot of women changing in cars. I mean, the thing is, both these movies are paramount. I have to assume it's the same fucking executive coming into the room and just kind of going, like... (laughs) But what if they're stripping? Yes. Um, and also, they're all going by planetary code names. Ethan is Jupiter and, and, and all of this. She's Venus, so Aphrodite if you're going Greek. And, like, I understand generally... I mean, I don't think it's good that women have to constantly do these, like, seduction things. But it just seemed like another little slap in the face. And and then at the end, like, her getting shot so that she's relegated to just standing there watching Benji do things and Renna can go save the day. It's like, oh, don't do literally anything. You just stand there while the men sort this out. Like, bad stuff. Let's say that was good. I just wish she had more to do. I think Paul Patton's good as well. She's, I think, got, a no, great, yeah, she's got a great physicality to her. And I think it's a damn shame that she doesn't come back for the next one. I think she was... Uh, I think Chris McCrory does an interview where he goes, like, why? weren't like Maggie Q or or Paul Patton back for the next movie and he's like oh they were just busy but then you look at Paul Patton's like list of movies she does after this and you kind of go like oh god I hope she wasn't busy with like Warcraft or something um, after this or yeah, like just you in- can see why that why everyone signed up for that movie like that movie on paper should have made a billion dollars but yeah but that's the thing but it's just like you sit there and go like i mean and obviously like i think spoilers for the next movie i do think the series kind of finally solves its leading woman problem yeah because they're getting incrementally closer but it's all with like giant grains of salt in the form of like that's the thing it's like that there are female characters with agency in like every movie and you're kind of going are they gonna are they gonna do it are they gonna do it and then rebecca ferguson shows up in the next one and it's like finally one of these movies actually has like a female character who has like weight on the plot because like Eva Green's great in Casino Royale and Bourne kind of like it's it was weird for me watching Bourne and kind of realizing that the person who I thought was the female lead of the franchise has nothing to do for the first two movies really yeah but it, it, it's just weird like they, there are so few female characters and we are reaching a point now where I feel like obviously Leia Sedow is going to have two Bond movies to her name mm-hmm. so yeah she will be the most recurring Bond girl of this era how dare you speak ill of M <laughs> okay yeah okay yeah Hello, uh, Helen Merrick, Jesus Christ. Yeah, you know, Judy Dench is obviously the queen, but she's, uh, like, it, it feels like a different role. It feels more like if Mission Impossible had the same head of the IMF every single time is yeah. why it yeah, feels yeah. different. And obviously she is the Bond girl in Skyfall, and... Yeah. I'd have to look, but you could probably argue that she probably deserved an Oscar nomination for what she does in Skyfall. Probably. Uh, Did you say Helen Mirren because you knew you were going to say she's the queen? 
Boo. I'll take all of that out. Or maybe I won't now. Well, we can talk about Rebecca Ferguson in a couple of episodes' time. Six movies left, two of each. I know, yeah. But next time, we will be doing the utterly abysmal Bourne Legacy. Jeremy Renner will return. Almost had the keys to two franchises somehow. Then we get to do Skyfall. And then we get to do Rogue Nation, which I have not seen. In fact, Skyfall is the last movie on the list I've seen. Oh no, I've seen Spectre, sorry. But I haven't seen (laughs) That's easy to forget though, isn't it? I haven't seen Rogue Nation, I haven't seen Jason Bourne, I haven't seen Fallout. So yeah, good times ahead. In the meanwhile, go to entertherealworld.com, like, comment, subscribe, check out all of our podcasts. Real Bad is the new Breaking Bad podcast by Jerome and Kevin. That is debuting a new episode every month. Flipping the Pig covers Adventure Time. Superhero Pantheon is every two weeks and does superhero movies as it says in the title. They most recently did Birds of Prey, but they will have done something else by the time you hear this. And I reviewed Birds of Prey. I wrote something. You can read it. Please do. But next time... Born Legacy, please prepare yourself, Ben. And you're going to have to do it quickly because this podcast will self-destruct in five seconds, as we've always said. (laughs) Do I have to watch it? You do. Secret agent man.